Thank you for joining me for this week's episode of the Providers, Properties, and Performance podcast, where I'm actually the guest being interviewed by Dr. Kevin Christie for the Modern Chiropractic Marketing podcast, where he is educating other chiropractors on best marketing practices, but also the best business practices for owning and operating a chiropractic business where I come in on the real estate side and we discuss owning versus leasing their office space and the long-term benefits of both on running a practice. I hope you enjoy it. Thank you. This is the Providers, Properties, and Performance Podcast, the podcast that brings together leaders in healthcare and investment real estate to consider the possibilities in future at the intersection of practicing medicine and healthcare real estate investment returns. Welcome to the Providers, Properties, and Performance Podcast. I am your host, Trisha Talbot. As a healthcare real estate advisor to providers and investors, the best solutions occur when the two collaborate together as partners in delivering better patient care. Providers can deliver care to their patients when and where they need it, and investors realize the returns to build and manage facilities. We explore changes in medicine and wellness, the future of healthcare, and using real estate as a strategic and financial tool. All right. Welcome to the show, Trish. I really appreciate your time today. Before we dive into all the nuts and bolts of commercial real estate and purchasing and when you should do that and why and some of the things to look out for, tell us a little about yourself personally and your company, and then we'll go from there. Sure. Well, my company is Doc Properties, and I help physician owners and investors in real estate solutions. So for physician owners, I typically help them put together either a corporate real estate strategy, help them manage that. And as part of that, either lease or sell real estate to help them with their practice or healthcare company if they're a little bit larger. And then I typically help physician owners clean up their properties to then sell to investors in the... There's a whole asset class of investors that just specialize in purchasing medical office buildings, surgery centers, urgent care centers standalone emergency departments. So I can package the properties and then I have the physician owners clean them up, you know, from just the aesthetics of the outside to also, you know, the lease documents that make up the property and, you know, just a little bit of improvements that tremendously do improve the value when I do present it to investors. Yeah, it's a it's a topic near and dear to my heart. I, I did purchase my office space in 2013. I've talked about it here and there. I haven't really dove into it deep with a guest. And that's why I was excited when we ran into each other on a strategic coach meeting and, and we connected from there. And you were kind enough to have me on your podcast. So I thank you for that. Oh, you're welcome. And thank you for having me on yours. Yeah, definitely. And you know, I want to jump right into the gates. They're going to dive into a lot of good information here. And you mentioned investors. And this is something that I actually just discovered myself a few weeks ago. I had a, what I didn't realize was a real estate company reach out to me randomly. A lot of people are moving to South Florida. A lot of, I'm actually the president of our medical condo association here. And we have two units that just sold two doctors coming from out of state to Florida. So it's not just people coming down here to buy houses, but they're also moving their practices down here. And so they had reached out because they're lo- they're like they're looking for people looking to sell, and I entertained it. You know, I just was like, I'd like to know what a valuation is of of my practice. They're willing to do that for free and all that. And so there was a there was basically an X amount if I sold it to say another chiropractor, or I sold it and walked off into the sunset. And then there was a leaseback option where if I sold it to an investment group 
and then did say a 10 year lease back to them, that would be worth more in evaluation. Can you speak to that right out of the gates and we'll go from there? Yeah, absolutely. What you're talking about is a sale lease back and what it offers any user of real estate, but specifically for physicians, because they are the investors that are attracted to the healthcare real estate asset class. The reason, one of the reasons is, is that the physicians, it's a mission critical purpose driven real estate. There's mm-hmm. a reason that the tenant needs to be there. There's an operating business. If you're an entrepreneurial physician, it is your bread and butter and uh, your baby, so to speak. If it's a larger healthcare company, they still need to be there in order to serve a patient base. So there's a reason to be there. Also, clinicians, they can't, shouldn't, but they, they can't legally practice out of their homes. So it's not a business that can be easily affected by I mean, everyone's affected by economic fluctuations, but at the end of the day, people still need health care. Surgeries still occur, maybe at a little lesser amounts, but people always need health care. You know, and when they're critically sick, they're it's a constant care. Yeah. So when they look at this asset class, they say, you know, you know, there's just staying power in it. So with, you know, depending on where you are in your career. There's two benefits to doing a sale leaseback from a physician standpoint. One, you know, if you are looking, if you're like, you know what, I'm actually tired of being a landlord. I don't want to worry about the leaky faucets, leaky roofs, air conditionings, landscaping, and that sort of thing. And you don't have a property management company and you don't want to really deal with the property accounting. I mean, anything with regards to the operation of the property anymore, it offers you an opportunity just to become a tenant write a check to an owner that hopefully you've done the due diligence that they've done this in the past, that they do this often. They have a professional management company. They're familiar with having owned and operated other medical office properties. You can just become a tenant and write a check. They do ask for about 10 years because you know they do want to have some cash flow. They're, they're yeah. buying your cash flow. Mm-hmm. And you unlock what happens is sometimes at the end of a, of a physician's career, they sit there or, you know, they're saying, you know what, I may in the next 10 years, there's some changes. I may get bought by a, another group. Like you're saying, you know, I, I might sell to another group. I may, and some specialists that they'll get bought by hospital groups. You know, I just don't know what's going on. And then if I get bought by for example, if a physician does get bought by a hospital group, mm-hmm. you know, the hospital group may buy the lease as well, but you know, eventually they may, they have the right then because they own the business to relocate you into, mm. you know, it, hospital space or, you know, space that the hospital may already own. Then if, if you're the physician that owns the real estate, you know, you've just lost your tenant, which is also yourself and you have to backfill it. So what a sale lease back does is, you know, if a, if, if a clinician's like, look, there's just uncertainty in the market, I'm going to, I know that I'm, I know that I'm going to practice but I don't want to own the real estate. I don't want to be left with a vacant piece of real estate that I either have to retenant, I have to continue to manage. So I just, you know, want to be a physician and a tenant for the next 10 years. And, you know, I like this, I like this buyer and, and I'm going to unlock, unlock all of the equity in the real estate immediately. So, you know, if you have other plans that you want to, you know, other if you have expansion plans and you know you want to unlock that capital and and use it for other things that's that's what's available to you as well as the the other property management operations side of things too so 
So that's what the benefits of a sale lease back is, is you just, you get, you get the benefits of unlocking the equity today. And then also you get relieved of the operation and management of the property. Yeah. And, you know, it becomes kind of a, a financial planning game, right? Where mm-hmm. depending on where you are in your state of your practice, or like you said, wanting to manage and operate real estate, you could unlock the equity. And after you, you know, if you have anything left on the note that you're paying on the mortgage, you pay that off and everything you got, you know, you a lump sum left, let's call it 750,000. You could, you know, decide to put that into an investment and in kind of a retirement fund and, and let that grow without the stress of managing the, the real estate. And then you could still want to practice for 10 years, or you could even want to practice for a few more years, but you've got someone that wants to buy your practice from you. And you could have in that agreement with the investment company that if the practice exchanges hands, the lease just transfers over. Is that correct? You can absolutely do that. And Mm -hmm. one other point to it is a sale lease back. A lot of these buyers, some of them, you know, they would, so it allows you to also, you know, just move from active to a passive investor, Mm -hmm. which sometimes in someone's life that that makes a ton of sense. And mm-hmm. so, you know, a lot of these, not a lot, but some of these buying entities, um, they offer, you know, they have their own like syndications or mm-hmm. they allow you, the, you as the clinician to invest still in the property as more of like a shareholder or a percentage owner of the property. And, and you then you just sit and, you know, put, let your money go to work mm-hmm. and you become more of on the passive side. But you could, some still have opportunities to invest in either a fund that owns, you know, this particular property or an LLC, mm-hmm. or the, sometimes if a real estate investment trust will have other funds and you can just become a passive investor in the same asset class that you know, you know, and you get the offering memorandum. So you can look through and say, Hey, and do some due diligence on your end. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's uh, tenants that you know, and are familiar with. And so a lot of physicians are com- comfortable doing that as well. Yeah. And it gives you just another option. I know there's some chiropractors out there that had a concern that their real estate is appreciated quite a bit. And they find themselves in a, a $1.5, $2 million building and then with the sale price of the practice, it would be hard for a younger associate chiropractor or just chiropractor in general to be able to purchase both the practice and the real estate. Mm-hmm. And so this gives you some way of around that. And it's an option. There's a lot, a lot to it. And we kind of started out with maybe an end game in mind. And I want to bring it back now to, I always like, you know, having the end in mind for sure. And I think when you start to make that decision as say a chiropractor, on whether it's a smart idea to buy in the first place. You you want to have the end in mind. You mentioned in our pre-chat a little bit about kind of reverse engineering from your practice, because that's what really is the the golden goose. But re, you know, re, reverse engineering from the practice to what should you buy and and going from there. Can you take us step by step through that process? Absolutely. You know, I get a lot of calls. And I, you know, they're just like, can you find me the cheapest, you know, <laughs> either office space or, you know, I, I need to go out and find the, the, the cheapest space to either purchase or can you find me, you know, a really smoking deal? And, yeah. and I stepped back and I said, okay, I say, what is, I asked the questions of, okay, the real estate is actually a function of your business and, mm-hmm. and the occupancy cost of the real estate has to fit in your business model of your overhead costs. So the first thing that every, that I believe, based on my experience that every practice or healthcare company should take into consideration, you know, they, they need to have their brand really solidified, meaning 
your office space is, is, you know, the doorway to your patients, Mm -hmm. the ease of access that you want for your patients. You know, do you need to be in a certain area because of the insurance you want to capture or you Mm -hmm. cash and want to capture cash so that, you know, you know, you have to look into those areas. What type of patient base are you serving and, Mm -hmm. you know, where do you need to be to make it as easy for your patients to get to you as possible. A lot of physicians, you know, it's interesting because a lot of physicians have the same criteria. I think that a lot of retail users have is they, they want visibility. You know, they mm-hmm. need people to be able to see where they are. They need patients, you know, in Florida is a lot like where I live in Arizona and, mm-hmm. you know, it's a lot of new development and you can just, everyone likes to be near the street and, mm-hmm. you know, there's not a lot of super high rises. I mean, there are some, but not often. So visibility parking in Arizona and it's covered parking because it gets hot. You know, there, when I, I asked people, I, I, so, you know, where, you know, why do you need to be in a certain location or and based on a certain location? And, and quite honestly, a lot of people start with where they live and then kind mm-hmm. of go out from there, but some have more strategic plans as far as, you know, I, I need, I actually have the data where my patients are driving too far now and I want to put a location out there so they don't have to drive 30 minutes. You know, I can put these locations in strategic areas. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, I have them think about, you know, I mean, do you want, so the big question, do you want to own or lease? Mm -hmm. And in this area, are those options available? So you sort of start chipping away. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, it's the the quality of the real estate you know, I think at least these days, I think patients are wanting spaces that are clean and well thought out. And I don't think any physician needs to have like marble or anything like that. I mean, you're treating sick patients, you don't, but it just needs to be well-intentioned. And I guess for coming from the residential side, well-appointed mm-hmm. um, <laughs> mm-hmm. as far as just sort of clean spaces and patients want to feel comfortable in the spaces. Now, I think you have to be cognizant of, you know, how your waiting room is configured there's some, you know, that just put like, if they're a small office and, and don't have enough space, they just fit as many chairs as possible. And I don't think that that's going to really go well going mm-hmm. forward. So I, I really asked them questions about their brand. Like, how do they want their patients to, to feel when they come into the space? What patient base are they trying to attract? Do they need to be near a hospital? You know, what income are they looking to, you know, what income and insurance reimbursements are they looking for? Are they looking to be around other physicians that refer to them and, you know, where do they want to be in a medical building? Do they want to be in a more visible on the street? Do they need a pad site? You know, so all of those sorts of things get into really what type of real estate do they want and at the price point. And then the real estate transaction, you know, finding the real estate and putting the the actual mechanics of the real estate transaction are, are pretty easy from there, but really getting them to think about what they want their real estate, how they want their real estate to work for them Mm -hmm. as part of their practice in a strategic way. Yeah. And I want to touch on a few things that you mentioned. One is, is definitely, it's got to be a perfect marriage between the practice and the real estate. This is not a purely real estate investment decision. This is a practice success decision as well. You're going to provide stability for your practice potentially, but if you go too far and the like you said the occupancy costs are too much, you're going to provide a lot of instability for your practice. If you buy something too small, you're going to outgrow it and you're going to have an ROI issue of your practice. If you buy something too big and you can't afford it again, you're going to have issues there. So they're really you have to make sure that 
your practice, you're very clear on those things. And then you buy something that that really is congruent with that. And so that was something that worked out for me. I don't mind ever being candid on on the show. I did my purchase when I was like 33. And it really was, I don't want to say flying blind, because I, I had some good resources and things like that. But there was a few mistakes that I made that have worked out for me. But one was, you know, just the the cost of build out. Right? I have 3000 square feet, and it gets really expensive to build out. So you got to take that into consideration for sure. Two, the way mine's designed in, in, in 3000 square feet, I was in network with insurances at the time, I didn't prepare for the fact that insurances were going to be really hammered in the subsequent years, like a few years after that. And we went all cash. So we're like lower volume, high cash, better revenue and profits. But I really don't need all the space that I do have. But I am able to sublet to a physical therapy group, which is great. And then something that's really helped because early on, I will admit, I, I ran into a little bit of the occupancy cost issue with it. You know, I've got a high property taxes you're going to have. I have high condo dues now and, and all that added up where I was paying like 3000 a month in rent when I was leasing. All of a sudden, my, my really like I needed about 6500 to 7000 a month to really operate it from a rent, property tax, insurance, all the stuff, right? And so I, I did run into that. But all of that sorted itself out with some strategy and everything. And, and it's been been a great move for me. So I, I just like how you talked about that. Is there any other insights on that before we move on? Yeah, I really do think that if, I mean, obviously there's, so the reason I enjoy working in this particular asset class is it's a mm -hmm. sophisticated industry. The physicians are, are smart mm -hmm. and, you know, you can present you know, you can send them a pro forma and they, they, they get it. And if they, you know, want to be walked through it, you know, it's pretty easy to get them to walk through it. And some do have, you know, a lot of experience in real estate and, you know, candidly, they, they're fine on their own and, and, you know, they've got, they done it. They don't mind managing and operating it and they do it very well. It just, you know, it depends on, what you want. I mean, I would say for, for most, the best thing when you're buying a property is to buy more than you need. Cause you can always lease it out. And by that, you know, I would say a minimum of 800 to a thousand square feet. Cause that's probably about the minimum that makes sense when you, if you, you know, even if it's to a general office user of a waiting room, a couple offices, a break room, and, you know, maybe a little, you know, four person conference room type of thing, but you know, that's kind of the most, the least amount of space that per se that you can lease out. So mm -hmm. that gives you the option as a practice to, if you, you know, you lease it out after they, you know, you, and if you need to expand, once that lease expires, you know, you can take the space back and absorb it. If you don't need, you know, if you're going to contract your own space, you know, you can, again, just lease, keep leasing out more. But what I've found more than not is that practices tend to outgrow them. And, and a perfect example is, like you said, office condos, they were they're big here and in, in Arizona, the footprint was, you know, kind of a 10,000 square foot building or 5,000 square foot building that they would sell almost in sometimes fourth. So if you're, you know, a 5,000 square foot, if you take a quarter of a 5,000 square foot building, you know, you've got a really fixed space. 
And what happens is that, you know, there's no way to expand unless you go to your neighbor and ask them to buy their space, but that's pretty complicated and sometimes doesn't work. So it's not as easy to, to do that. And then what you, like I go into some of these office spaces where physicians have gone that route and are running out of space. And, you know, it's like, you're in a house that's moving, you've got boxes all in the hallways, they don't have enough storage room, you know, it's just really cluttered and cramped. So I do because what happens is you can reduce your own occupancy costs by leasing space out. And, you know, I, I do, I, I recommend that. And, you know, there's, there's lots of capital partners. And this is one thing that I think clinicians and clinicians, they don't really understand that there's actually people that will JV with them. Now that does mean that, you know, you do have a partner, but uh, mm-hmm. there's lots of different structures and depending on how much capital and, and control you want to offer or give, you know, there's different structures. So if you want to build a building and occupy some of it, and you have a couple of other, you know, kind of controlling your own destiny. There's a couple of physician groups that you know that would lease space that refer to you. You know, you can almost like control your own destiny. Mm-hmm. And then there's partners that will JV with you that either bring the capital or and will do the whole contractor, you know, they'll hire the G the general contractor and develop the property for you. So, mm-hmm. you know, there and then, you know, you're not having to you're not having to outlay all the cash yourself and take all of the capital risk. And you just bringing this deal add the value to the deal. That makes sense. That's a great option. Another way of 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 doing that, which is good. One of the things I did like you, what you said earlier too was, you know, don't just buy real estate to buy real estate. It, it's gotta really make sense. And depending on where you're at, it's gonna be different. Like where I'm at in, in Boca Raton, the area, it's really tricky to buy commercial real estate that you could put a practice in unless it's medical or, or office condo and, and ours is an office medical condo building. And yeah, you're not going to get the street signage much, but if you do a really good job of, you know, digital marketing and marketing in general, which is what, what I teach a lot of, you can kind of have an online main street and, and be fine with it. Plus if you're in a situation like I am, we've got two floors, two buildings, 20 plus units, a lot of different types of doctors. I've connected with some of the doctors in there and you can find referral sources within the building from other providers, which is, which is a, a great option for you. But you got to definitely realize there's going to be some drawbacks of being in, in medical. We've got high condo association fees. You also like, for instance, I'm the president of the, the condo board and I wasn't before. And our building was from like, is from like 1985 and it was looking like that. So when, one of my goals was to become president and and we put together, I did that and then put together a three-year plan to modernize the entire building from inside to outside. And and now it looks like it's in the 21st century, which has really increased the value of everybody's unit as well. So if you own a unit inside of a medical building, you could be in a dilapidated old looking building, which will impact your your suite. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah. I mean, I think that's one of the biggest questions you have to ask yourself when, if you're going to purchase any piece of real estate is how, how do, how is it going to be managed and maintained because mm-hmm. real estate needs it, you know, it's commercial real estate in order to sell it, or if you want to get it appraised and refinanced, you know, it needs to, you know, it doesn't have to look like the most modern, but it should always look as though it's being taken care of, mm-hmm. I guess, for lack of a better, better word, you know, the landscaping mm-hmm. doesn't have to be super lush, but it doesn't, you know, you don't want dead stuff 
dead plants and and things, you know, you want to make sure that you maintain it well. The parking lot needs to be well maintained Mm -hmm. and inside, especially, you know, in your situation for a condo that's shared space, you know, that common space, you know, it probably every few years needs a good paint job, Mm -hmm. depending on how much wear and tear on the traffic, on the flooring, you know, that probably needs to get replaced. You know, I don't know, like maybe five, seven, 10 years, depending on the material, or at least like buffed and cleaned. I mean, there's just should be some, some real maintenance to keep it so that again, I think you have to continue to ask yourself if I were a patient coming to see me, would I be happy walking in this building? And would I feel comfortable? Do I feel like that it's just well-maintained and, and taken care of. I was, <laughs> you shouldn't buy real estate unless you know how you're going to run it and operate it from the get-go and how much yeah. it costs. Yeah. And, and if you're, if you're buying a building, then that's all on you. Like that's your land, that's your parking lot, that's your building. Like all those things are on you. If you're in a situation like me, you got to be careful. You might get assessed, right? Like you, you could get assessed $50,000 for something because you know, replacing the entire roof is $500,000 and there isn't $500,000. You you know, we, we've talked about, you know, getting lines of credit and you can get loans for that stuff too, but there are certain things you could get an assessment on. You got to be prepared for that financially, which is part of the occupancy cost of owning something. That inspection. So people, you know, they, Mm -hmm. they also, I think when you go into it, you really need to allow yourself time, you know, in commercial real estate, it's not like residential where it's, you know, (laughs) it's tight. You can ask for some time just because of bandwidth and, you know, 60 day due diligence periods in commercial real estate are not unheard of just because everyone has things to do. And it's hard in 30 days to organize all the vendors that you need. And I really think, you know, getting a really good inspector. I've heard of some people on some really more complex buildings, getting two different inspectors and Mm. seeing, you know, if anyone missed anything, really having, making sure the inspector goes in all the systems and make sure that especially like air conditioners or medical buildings have some backup generators, like all of that stuff is, is definitely checked thoroughly so that you, at the end of the day, whether or not, you purchase it with some of those things not working, you know what mm-hmm. you're buying. Yeah. It's it's huge because it, it is it really can it can cripple your 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 practice, unfortunately, because if you start hemorrhaging money because of the real estate, it's coming from your practice essentially. And that is something that you don't want to mess around with your cash flow because of the real estate side of things, which is obviously different than if you're leasing. If you're leasing, you're protected in a lot of ways from that. But I want to just name a few benefits that of buying. And I want you to piggyback on top of that. And so, sure. so like for instance, yeah, one of the benefits of leasing is if something goes wrong, it's not on you. But if you sign that lease in 2013 and you're paying X amount in rent in 2033, that rent is probably going to be way higher versus like when I bought my space in 2013, my mortgage is going to be the same, barring any refinancing, anything is going to be the same in 2033, 2043 as it was in 2013. So that's an obvious benefit. There's a benefit of appreciation. Mine, full candor, I bought it for 450000 It's worth 825 now if I sold it and rode off into the sunset. So it's appreciated quite a bit in eight years, which is, which is awesome. And it's a huge chunk of my retirement. And then, like I mentioned earlier, it provides a lot of stabil- stability for my chiropractic practice. So those are a few off the top of my head. 
I know there's some, like some, maybe some tax benefits. There's other benefits like that. What are a few others that a chiropractor should be looking out for? Yeah. And I, I think that, you know, that there are some tax benefits and I'm not an accountant. And so I would get burned mm-hmm. at the stake if I, you don't have to go into detail, but, but, um, <laughs> but you know, it, I'm sure every mm-hmm. healthcare provider does have an accountant that could talk yeah. to this, yeah. but the benefits of, you know, what they can write off as an owner and mm-hmm. how, how that benefits them from a tax liability standpoint versus leasing, you know, some companies just as a, business practice or strategy choose leasing. Those are usually some of the healthcare, larger healthcare companies for different reasons. Mm-hmm. But, you know, for entrepreneurial practice, I think that there are some tax benefits to owning versus leasing. And you also, you know, if you do buy it, you do lease back to your company, mm-hmm. you know, to also, it's a whole really ask you to ask your accountant for the, yeah. for those details, because they could really help you. But they're they're definitely, but just at, like with anything, you know, you have to to weigh the benefits versus the time and effort and energy that you want to spend on it and and make a decision that way. But mm-hmm. but the appreciation is huge. Common that people use it for retirement savings, and like I said, I think that people sometimes get afraid to purchase real estate because they say, "Well, it's so final," and I I, mm-hmm. I feel like. It's such a good financial and, t- and strategic tool if you know if you go in like you said with an exit strategy in mind with contingency plans. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go in. I'm going to lease this amount of space. I'm going to buy a little bit bigger. I'm going to you know there's leasing companies out there that would lease the you know market and lease the space for you. You can use it to expand. You can contract. You can leave it and lease it out to somebody else and sell it as an investment. Like you said, Mm -hmm. there's a, you know, sale leasebacks. There's also, you know, you can refinance and recapitalize it. So, you know, there's so much that you can do if you do own the real estate. And at the end of the day, you can always sell it. And, you know, typically over the long term, if you buy it right and Mm -hmm. don't fire sale it, it, it typically serves you in a, in a good way as far as financial appreciation. Leasing is just, it's a different strategy for a different purpose. It does, you know, there are annual increases, but when you're, you know, I always recommend, especially for people with larger leases, that they actually start negotiating their renewal about three years prior to their lease expiration. Some landlords definitely don't want to do that. They like Mm -hmm. to leave you with like two months left so that, you know, you don't have anywhere to go. But, you know, if you hire a broker that knows what they're doing and, you know, has long-term relationships in the market, they can have those conversations with the landlord and say, Mm -hmm. hey, you know, we can start looking now. I'm always a big proponent of any major decision, giving yourself as much runway as possible. So there's, there's ways to go around that. Yeah. And I want to touch one final thing and, and give you the last word, but you talk about recapitalization or refinancing and, and it's, that's another part also can be a layer of protection for your practice is if you get a lot of equity in there and, and God forbid something happens, you could refinance and take some capital out and have that. There's, you know, it's just funny. I talk to so many different people and yeah, I get one person tells me, Oh, you know, refinance, take out the equity and put it in the market and let it grow, right? Then you get other person is like, oh, pay it down instead of 25 years, pay it down in 10 years, right? Less interest you're paying. 
take out capital and buy another piece of real estate. Right? <laughs> like I, I'm in no way recommending anything on this show with that. There's right. so many, so many different variables in, in that. And for me, it's just been more of just sitting on it and and paying the mortgage, making an extra payment here and there, but I have not recapitalized or refinanced. It's not out of the realm of possibility, but if I were to ever do it, it would just mainly be because I could get a, quite a substantial decrease in interest rate if that were to happen, but I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't do it for the other ways. For me personally, that's just my personal yeah. stance on it. And again, I, I like to provide as much candor as I can. I'm 41 and the way the note is, I'd be 58 when it's paid off. I'll probably get it paid off earlier than that. But it, let's just say in 15 years from now, it's probably going to be worth one point something if I wanted to sell it. Or I could rent you know, rent it out for 10, 11,000 a month and obviously have some expenses with that property taxes and this, that, and the other, and have that as recurring revenue every every month if I feel like dealing with being a landlord, right? Right. Um, and and again, I've got a really good financial planner I work with. We've we've run all those scenarios. No decisions are being made at this point. We got many years down the road, but it's just a lot of different ways you can can take this. There's a lot of variables, so I can't give you any recommendations with it, but it just gives you a lot of options. Would you agree with that? I absolutely agree with that. And, and it's interesting when I do, when I analyze a property for somebody that they're looking to sell, you know, and I recommend, you know, a couple thousand dollars in repairs, but I tell them, you know, this is the amount more that I can put it on the market for and and get more aggressive. And sometimes it's not a couple thousand, sometimes it's, but then their value goes significantly up. So, but it, it, it is, you know, real estate is not, I would say it's not, I find this, I get some folks that call me and there's these conversations at cocktail parties of, mm-hmm. oh, of course you should invest in real estate. You should do this. You should do that. And, you know, and there's, it's uh, you know, almost guaranteed success. And I just, you know, I try to, I am very candid in my advice as well. And, mm-hmm. and I, you know, discuss again, I, the first thing is what are your goals with the real estate? Do you have, you, you should have some reserves, you know, I'm mm-hmm. sure in the condo association, that's a huge thing. You know, you need yes, to have yes. some cash reserves because yeah. there are surprises in real estate and they tend to be expensive. Then you can recapitalize and get those back and, and all of that. But sometimes things need to be taken care of and it requires you to write a check and that's uncomfortable. So it's not for, you just need to be aware of that going in. So real estate, I love it. It's wonderful. Obviously, I've bet my career on it. I mm. love helping these physicians you know, with whatever they want to do with their real estate. And I love working with them. I find them to be a lot of fun and sophisticated, but I, I'm very honest and very real. I try to outline all of the costs and do performas for all of their decisions and then, you know, provide them with as much information to be very comfortable with the decision that they make. Perfect. And if my audience wants to reach out to you, how can they do that? My website is www.docproperties.com and you can find out information about me there. And then my email is the best way to reach me. It's ttalbot, T-T-A-L-B-O-T at docproperties.com. And I do respond pretty quickly. And if you want to set up a call, that's easily done. Perfect. And I'll put that in the show notes. I really appreciate your time today. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you. I'm grateful for you tuning in to the Providers, Properties, and Performance podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, rate, review, and share the podcast with others. 
As a disclaimer, this podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only and not intended for specific real estate investment advice.